Good afternoon and welcome to Trinity Word Ministry and our Bible study of Isaiah. Welcome back. We are in chapter 1. We will start with verse 21 this afternoon. But first we are going to go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for this day. Lord, we thank you for your many blessings upon our life, Lord, for allowing us the opportunity once again to come and to read and to study your word together, Lord. We ask, Lord, that you'll move and that you'll touch and that you'll bless as only you can, Lord. And, Lord, that you'll anoint my lips as I endeavor to bring forth your message. You'll anoint our ears to hear and our hearts to receive. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. As I said, chapter 1, verse 21. How is the faithful city become an harlot? It was full of judgment, righteousness, lodged in it, but now murderers. The comparison between the current Jerusalem, or the Jerusalem of Isaiah's day, and the Jerusalem of the past was such a contrast. The Jerusalem of David's time was as a faithful and devoted wife, full of good judgment and righteousness. But now in Isaiah's time, it's that of an harlot and full of murderers. In approximately 300 years, things for, for Jerusalem and Judah had gone downhill quickly. Isaiah is looking at the backsliding and trying to understand it all. Now you think, 300 years, that's, a, that's a quite a long time. That's about the age of America. To put it in perspective. So in 300 years, they'd went from a godly king who knew how to repent and worship God, a man after God's own heart, to a city that was described as being full of harlots and full of murderers. Now let's, let's look at that on a little personal level. Where are you at in your walk with the Lord? Are you where you used to be? Have you moved closer to God? Or have you moved further away? How long has it been since you actually walked with God? Since you first became a Christian? How long has it been? 10 years, 20 years, 5 days, 37 years? Where are you at in your walk? We, we want to throw rocks at Jerusalem. We want to throw rocks at you know the, the people that the prophets was talking about. But let's bring it home and let's look at our personal life and let's compare that. Are we just whited sepulchers? Are we just dead men walking? Isaiah's comparing the city. But also, we need to compare ourselves, our lives, from where we started to where we've gotten. Now, if you're just starting out on the, on your walk, that's great and wonderful. Don't allow it to, to slide, if you will. Stay in your word. Stay with your prayer life. Stay with God. Verse 22 says, Thy silver has become dross, thy wine mixed with water. Dross is the impurities that float on top of molten silver as it's being refined. It's that skim or that film, if you will, if you've ever seen silver being refined. It's that 
dull gray looking stuff that floats on top of everything else. And they scrape it off and they discard it. The dross is useless and it's not worth anything. Silver is refined to remove the dross. That's how it's put in the heat. It's put in a cauldron. It's put in a flame. And that heat releases that and it floats to the top so that the silver refiner can actually scrape it off. Silver is refined to remove the dross and the less dross the purer the silver. However, if the silver is all dross, it is worthless and severely contaminated. And God or Isaiah, God through Isaiah, tells the people of Jerusalem that their silver is become dross. It's become contaminated. It's become unpure. And it's not worth anything. Thy wine mixed with water. Now the Roman legions and other militaries of the day, and I realize that Rome wasn't a powerhouse right now, but bear with me, they learned it somewheres, but they would heat up the wine, and they would make it into a syrup. They would concentrate it, and then they would carry it around in their, in their wine flask, or in their know, whatever, the leather cask, whatever you want to call that. They would carry it around, and because they were doing that, because uh, they was carrying it around for long distances on campaigns, they did that so that it would not become sour quickly. They literally um, done that so that they could carry it long distances. Now they would mix that syrup with water and make it into a drink. But that's not what I'm talking about here. Thy wine's mixed with water. They're diluting the wine. They're removing the effectiveness of the wine and they are creating a, a drink that's less pure, less effective, and doesn't taste as well, I'm sure. So God's telling through Isaiah, thy silver's become dross, the wine is mixed with water. You become polluted. You become watered down. You become a less than what you're supposed to be. And a lot of times they would, you know, they would mix the water and the wine together so that they could stretch the wine out further so that they could sell more of it. In the older days, in the 70s, I will say older days, but in the 1970s, and 1960s, and 1970s, old gas stations used to put water in their gas tanks, their underground storage tanks, and they would mix the water and the gasoline so that they wouldn't have to fill up their tanks as often, but they continued to sell the gasoline that came out of the dispenser at the same price. It was called watered-down gas. And it really, really messed with people's gas tanks and gas fuel pumps and filters and engines, carburetors. Yes, I'm dating myself. I, I remember these things. But they did that to, to cheat. They did that to you know, make more money. And they were, they were talking here, the wine is mixed with water. They mixed the wine with the water so that they could sell more of it make more money, more, make more profit on a less effective product. We like to throw rocks at them. Oh, we'd never do that. But it's prominent in our culture as well.
It's prominent in our culture. It's, it's prominent in, in churches to water down the gospel, to dilute it and make it easier to under or easier to hear, not understand, but easier to hear, so that well, you'll keep coming back to the church. So you'll start continue to pay your tithes so that the church can get rich and you don't get any benefit from it. That's what Isaiah is telling Jerusalem. You're doing all of this, but you're not getting any benefit from it. You're doing all of this and you're you're not accepting your responsibilities. And it starts at the head. It starts at the government. It starts at the very leadership of the country. In verse 23 it says, Thy princes are rebel thy princes are rebellious and companions of thieves. Everyone loveth gifts and followeth after rewards. They judge not the fatherless, neither doth the cause of the widow come unto them. The leadership of the land was corrupt. They were willing to take bribes. They was willing to get rich off the back of the others. I've often told of a, a politician, and I won't tell you where this is at, but uh, this one politician was famous for if you had someone in his state penitentiary, if you gave him enough money, he would grant you a governor's pardon. No one granted that governor a pardon when he went to jail because they called him. But see, our leadership in every country is corrupt. The old saying, you know, abs uh, power corrupts, but absolute power corrupts absolutely. The princes of the land and the rulers of the land of Israel and Judah and Jerusalem, they could all be bribed, they could all be bought. And some of them even went searching for those bribes. They were no longer judging with righteousness and justice. They were no longer concerned with man or mankind in general, but only how to make a profit for themselves. The anything goes mentality had crept into the ruling society and permeated the entire culture. Does this sound familiar? We're there. We never got away from it. This happened back in the Old Testament several hundred years before Christ was born. Approximately 300 years after King David lived. They were no longer concerned. The affairs of mankind did not affect them at all. The ruling body had become so self-centered that the widows and orphans' plight did not move them with compassion or stir them up in any way, shape, form, or fashion. They didn't care, because the widows and the orphans, they couldn't add to their pockets, they couldn't line the pockets of those rulers. So basically, it was an anything-goes society. We're there. We're living in that same realm today. I believe it's only worse now. This was Jerusalem. This is God's chosen people. This was the ones that was blessed by the Lord himself. By little later on, he was born here. He walked these streets. It was no better in Jesus' day than it was in Isaiah's day. It was only worse. It's no longer, it's no better in our day 
than it was in Jesus' day. It was. It's even worse. They're rebellious. They're companions of thieves. Everyone loves gifts, gratuities, graft, corruption. Verse 24, Therefore saith the Lord, the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I will ease me of mine adversaries and avenge me of mine enemies. Therefore saith the Lord of hosts, the mighty one of Israel, I'm going to revenge, I'm going to release myself, or I'm going to get some comfort. But Romans 12 and 19 says, Dearly beloved, avenge not yourselves, but rather give place unto wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, saith the Lord. We like to think that we can do this. We can take matters in our own hand, but we can't. We only make things worse when that happens. God will have the last word. He will get his vengeance on his enemies. He will find comfort with his adversaries or in spite of his adversaries. He will also provide comfort despite our enemies and our adversaries. Because if you're a true Christian, your enemies, your adversaries, is also God's enemies and God's adversaries. Or if God's got enemies and adversaries, which he does, they are yours as well. God said, I will ease me of mine adversaries, and I will avenge me of mine enemies. He's going to avenge you if you stay with him. You've been treated badly. You've been talked about. You've been lied on. Stay with God. Let him deal with it. Because if you get involved, you're only going to make things worse. Verse 25, I will turn my hand upon thee and purely purge away thy dross and take away all thy tin. God's not only going to take away his enemies, but he's going in and he's going to clean house with his people. He's going to not only straight, you know, set the record straight for his enemies, he's going to set the record straight for his chosen people. Just because you say you're a Christian doesn't make you a Christian. Just because the Jewish people were born in Jerusalem did not make them part of what God had set up. They had a rebellious streak just as we have a rebellious streak. He was going to destroy what, what had been built and what had made Jerusalem famous and what Jerusalem had become. He was going to return law and order to the streets and to the courts. He was going to restore what man had destroyed. And he was going to do it with his righteousness and with his glory. And he was going to return Jerusalem. And in fact, he's going to return the entire world back to what it was designed for in the first place. The days of Garden of Eden, of Adam and Eve. He is going to set up that land eventually. Just because he hasn't came doesn't mean he won't come. Don't be weary in well-doing. For they that wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. 
don't get weary in waiting. God said he wins the race, and I'm going to use my own words, if he endures to the end. We just have to stay in the race. We don't have to come across the finish line first. Anybody that crosses that finish line wins because God's on your side. He's going to strengthen them, those that were left, the remnant, but he was going to straighten out the mess that mankind had made. God was going to set that record straight and he was going to do it to those that had turned their backs on him because he was tired of their lackadaisical attitude, their ever-anything-goes mentality, their carefree attitude, if you will. You know, the book of Revelation tells us to be hot or cold. He wishes we were hot or cold because we're lukewarm. He's going to spew us out of his mouth. He wants us on one end of the spectrum or the other. He wants us hot for him, or he wants us cold. He doesn't want these lukewarm Christians. That's those that are going into the church houses on Sunday mornings, and maybe even Wednesday night, living like they want to, Monday, Tuesday, Thursday, and Friday, and Saturday. Those are the lukewarm Christians. That's not what he's looking for. He's looking for those that are hot. I will turn my hand upon thee, He's going to send those that are lackadaisical. He's going to send those individuals through the spiritual fire and he's going to remove their impurities and he's going to remove the weak from their midst. He's going to separate the tares from the wheat. He's going to separate the goats from the sheep. I believe he started that already. I truly believe that he has he is already started that process. Look at churches. There's, most churches have not returned to the pre-COVID numbers yet. You know, churches had to shut down like everything else did. And those numbers hasn't come back. Why? Well, they can get it on Facebook. I mean, we're sitting here with Facebook right now. We're talking about Isaiah. Okay, there are some that that, that is that way. But there are others that's decided that they just don't need church any longer. And that was their excuse for not returning. Well, I don't need church. I done okay without it during the pandemic. I don't need church. Take an ember off of a fireplace or out of a campground fire and place it on a rock sitting there. It will it will glow for a while, but then it slowly and then quickly starts dimming and losing its heat. But the moment you pick that coal or that ember back up and you throw it back into the fire, it immediately catches, starts glowing, puts off heat again. You need those you need those other embers around you so that you can be hot and not lukewarm. First, he says he's going to take away all of the tin. He's going to take away their alloy. He's going to take away those things that they've been adding to, the impurities. He's going to take away all of that. And he's going to make us pure again, if we will allow him. 
Verse 26, And I will restore the judges as the first, and the counselors as at the beginning. Afterward, thou shalt be called the city of righteousness, the faithful city. He's going to return judgment and righteousness to the land through righteous leadership. He's going to destroy what they built and what they made Jerusalem. And he's going to do it through law, his law and his order, not man's. Man's law and order is useless. I'll, let me rephrase it. It's not useless. It's just not complete. God's law and order is complete. He's going to return it not to the courts, but also to the streets. Not just to the, the city halls, but he's also going to return it to the homes. The law, the order, the judgment, the righteousness. He's going to restore and rescue what God, what man has destroyed or tried to destroy. And he's going to return Jerusalem to what it was first designed for, and that is righteousness and faithfulness. Verse 27, Zion shall be redeemed with judgment, and her converts with righteousness. The redemption of Zion, or Jerusalem, is going to happen with judgments, and all of the inhabitants, and those that repent, he's going to restore with righteousness. Where are you tonight, today, whenever you're looking at this video? Where are you in your spiritual walk? Have you started slipping further and further away from God? He's telling you to return. He's telling you to come home. We are the prodigals. He is the prodigal father. Or the father of the prodigal son. And he's standing there waiting for us to come down the road. He said if we take a step toward him, he'll take two toward us. He'll run to us. If we'll just turn around and come back. The destruction of the transgressors of the sinners shall be together. And they that forsake the Lord shall be consumed. The destruction of the transgressors and of the sinners will be together. They will all be cast into the lake of fire in the very last days. The judgment seat of God. The white throne judgment, they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. They will be destroyed. They may not think they have a price to pay. Their price is eternity. Where are you? You want to be in that white throne judgment? I don't. I, want to stand in, I don't want to have to stand in front of Jesus and, and see everything that I've said wrong and done wrong. No, I don't. That's going to be quite embarrassing. It's going to be quite uh, humbling. But I'd much rather be there than standing in front of God on the white throne judgment because those are the individuals that are rebellious. They are the transgressors. They are the sinners. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. As so will Satan, the false prophet, the Antichrist, 
those individuals will be in the lake of fire. Hell will be picked up and tossed into the lake of fire. In the last days, the transgressors and those who are willing will be cast into the lake of fire, willingly sin, or sinning, will be cast into the lake of fire after passing by the white throne judgment. They are willingly turning their back on God and the Lord, and they continue to live in sin. They will be destroyed. Where are you tonight, today, whenever you're watching this video? 29. For they shall be ashamed of the oaks which ye have desired, and ye shall be confounded for the gardens that you have chosen. Now let's think about in those days, where was the idols placed often? In groves of trees, groves of oaks, in gardens. They'll be ashamed of those oaks. They'll be ashamed of those idols that they worshipped. They will be ashamed of the lifestyle that they led and that they lived. The rebellious will be mad and sor sorrowful, ashamed for the false gods that they worshipped and followed after. The idols were often placed in groves of trees on a hillside, on the top of a hill, or in gardens, and that's where they went to worship. And the rebellious will see the folly of their ways, but it's going to be too late. I encourage you, don't allow it to be too late. Am I happy with the way I used to live my life? No, I'm not. But I'm glad that 37 years ago, I accepted Christ as my Lord and Savior. Now, have I always done the right thing since then? No, I haven't. I have not. I'm not, I've not arrived yet. My father-in-law used to say, only when I get across the threshold of the pearly gates will I be able to turn around and go, I finally got it made. You don't have it made yet. Still living in this body of flesh. Still subject to temptation. The temptation is not the sin. It's the giving in to the temptation. That's where the sin comes in. Don't go to your grave, though, thinking about all of the things that you could have done and didn't. But don't definitely go to your grave regretting the fact that you didn't come to the Lord. But then it's too late. There is no such thing as purgatory. For ye shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth, and as a garden that hath no water. What happens to a garden that doesn't get rain or doesn't get watered? It, it wilts, it dries up, it dies. The oak whose leaf fades goes to sleep during the winter but as it gets older and older, it doesn't produce as much, and eventually it also dies. For ye shall be as an oak that the leaf fadeth, or a garden that hath no water. You're going to die. You're going to dry up. You're going to wilt. Spiritually, you're going to dry up without God. But physically, you are going to dry up. You are going to die. Die with him, 
not without him. The strong shall be as tow, and the maker of it as a spark, and they shall both burn together, and none shall quench them. Oh, we think that we, you know, we can do this all by ourselves. We think that we've got it all together. We know exactly what's going to happen. We have no clue. To be perfectly honest with you, we have no clue what's going to go on in this world. You shall be as an oak whose leaf fadeth. Strong shall be as tow, the maker of it as a spark. God will set this world on fire again. Where are you going to be in that day? Are you going to be set on fire by God? Or are you going to be set on fire for God? That's the question you really got to ask yourself. We're going to burn together if we do not come to know the Lord. He's going to destroy us, just as a fire can destroy wood. Once that fire goes through that, that tree, once that fire goes through that fireplace, whatever, you can put that stuff back together. You won't have a future without God. You won't have an ability to do anything without God. He's going to set this world on fire. He's going to get rid of the dross. He's going to get rid of the impurities. He's going to get rid of those that do not worship him. It's that simple. Which side of the fence do you want to be on? Join us next week. We'll take up with uh, Isaiah chapter 2. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Our most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you this night. Lord, we ask, Lord, that you'll move and that you'll touch. Lord, it's only you can, Lord, that you'll bless whoever listens to this video, whoever watches this video, that you'll bless and move, Lord. Open up their ears and then and Lord, open their eyes of understanding, Lord, so that they can understand what you are trying to convey through your word. And we'll be ever so careful to praise, to magnify, and honor your word. In Jesus' sweet and holy name we pray. Amen. We'll see you next week. Same place, same time.